I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, Grace Church. It's good to be back with you. Um, It's nice to drive out I-66 on a holiday weekend where there's little to no traffic. It's about a 50-mile, 50, no, 37-mile, 50-minute drive for me from Alexandria. So it was glad that everything moved smoothly and smartly. I didn't want to have a test on the roadways. All of us have had, has, or will have the promise we have heard from our creator, the Lord will provide, either tested or challenged. And we will all be brought up short by it. Whether it's as normal a life event as retirement or graduation that might, may, might leave us feeling a bit purposeless or perhaps as devastating as losing a loved one unexpectedly, or receiving a diagnosis of a terminal illness. Each of us hears that promise from God individually and uniquely. Our circumstances of the challenge or test, it will be different. So what do we do with that challenge? How will we respond when tested? Today's Old Testament lesson from Genesis 22 is known as the testing of Abraham. The Jewish tradition calls it the binding of Isaac, or the Akedah. Isaac is bound upon an altar by his father Abraham at the direction of the Lord God to be offered as a burnt offering. Now this is one of the hardest, most difficult, off-putting, and certainly frightening accounts we have in all of the Bible. Ellen F. Davis, the American theologian and Old Testament scholar in her book, Getting Involved with God, Rediscovering the Old Testament, opens her chapter on Take Your Son with these words, quote, Abraham and his God are appalling. If this is a test, then it would seem that both have failed miserably, both the one who devised the test and the one who submitted to it, unquote. Well, 10 chapters earlier in Genesis 12, Abram was 75 years old. His wife Sarai was 65 and unable to have children and they were childless. Nevertheless, God made a great promise. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There is God's promise to Abram. But how would it be realized? This couple was old, childless, and she was barren. To fulfill that promise, God would have to grant Abram a child, for you need offspring to become a great nation. So how could the promise be fulfilled? You've heard the story over the past three weeks. Recall now that time passes. Abram and Sarai remain childless. 
Abram questions and the Lord reaffirms the promise, look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them, so shall your descendants be. More time passes, still no child. This is definitely one of those in God's time and not in our own moments. Abram is now 99 years old, but God reiterates the promise again. In Genesis 17, God does that thing with changing names to seal in new identities, including Abram's wife. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Such a strong promise. And one year later, after both Abraham and Sarah had laughed at the notion of having a child at such a late age, she gave birth to a boy who Abraham named Isaac. Isaac means laughed. The promise was fulfilled a full 25 years after it was made. Now we all know of promises made and broken. We are aware of fidelities that were tested, some survive while others fracture. We know of lives cut short, bodies broken and torn by injury, illness and death. After what Abraham has gone through, would this promise remain? Isaac was born but would he live to continue that lengthy line of the great nation's promise through which the entire world would be blessed? Then comes today's text. I'm sometimes curious about the lectionary's choice to begin and end readings. Today's Old Testament le lesson leaves off three important words that begin Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 after these things. After these things, God tested Abraham. If the events of the last 25 years of his life were not enough, and I've touched on only a few, I invite you to revisit your Bible, to read carefully and completely between chapters 12 and 23. Now, God would test Abraham. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. Think about that. We hear nothing from Abraham in response but you might imagine questions and emotions were flooding his mind and rocking his being. What? Did I hear that right? Burnt offering? How could you ask such a thing? My son, Sarah's only son, Isaac, my beloved, Lord, this is the one that you promised. I waited so long, and now you are going to take him from me? What about the great nation you promised through Isaac? It ends before it even begins. Well, just last week, we heard how Abraham had to obey Sarah to send away his only other son, Ishmael, born of Hagar. 
because God told him to do so. But again, Abraham did what he heard God ask. He took Isaac and went to the place God had told him. What a hard journey, taking your own son out alone to sacrifice him in obedience to the Lord. You cannot tell the boy. You watch him carry the wood with him thinking it's for a sacrificial lamb, not knowing that he himself will be the offering. What an agonizing three days. Maybe Abraham weighed the love for his son against being obedient to God. Maybe he focused on the Lord's repeated promise of blessing and a great nation. How could this possibly turn out right? Then Isaac asked the question that's on all of our minds. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide. God will provide. Abraham knows not how, but he believes that God will provide. Faith, that faith that the Lord God has worked in Abraham all these years, faith is speaking here. A faith that trusts in God's promise, no matter what, even when it appears impossible by human standards. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to kill his son. This was happening. Abraham was in the act, ready to slay his son Isaac, to kill the promise as he knew it when the last moment reprieve came. But then the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Chapter 11 in the letter to the Hebrews speaks of the trust that Abraham displayed By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer his only son, of whom he had been told it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is even able to raise someone from the dead, for figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Then another remarkable thing happens. Abraham had told Isaac that God would provide for himself the sacrifice to be offered, and God did so. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. God promised Abraham. God tested Abraham, and God provided. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. 
God's promise of blessing Abraham and blessing the world through the line of Isaac would come to fulfillment. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you. And I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham, Abraham never gave up on God. He never ignored God. He heard the angel of the Lord, and he looked up to see the ram caught in the thicket. The Lord will provide. I believe in this God of promise and provision. Many people are distressed when I tell them, this is my favorite scripture, because I know the punchline. God will provide. But I also wonder, as some have suggested, whether God did not know the unknowable. Belief in God's omniscience raises that question. Why the test? What would Abraham do? God was putting God's own self at risk. What do God and Abraham learn about each other? The traditional interpretation is that Abraham proved his faithfulness by his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. And we uphold him for that and name him the father of our faith. He is the father of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. But here's what I want to know. Do you really believe that God told Abraham to kill his son? Is that consistent with your experience of God? Does that match the God that you know? Is that the God you came here to worship this morning? Why is this story in scripture? And what do we have to learn from it? Abraham's faith was relentlessly locked into the promise and the premise that God was faithful and had promised to do certain things. Anything that would get in the way of God's ultimate purpose, it had to be removed. And in all probability, when issues were truly faced, only God could, could address those obstacles. Abraham pressed on, not always knowing how, why, when, or where, but always knowing who. Abraham reminds believers in all generations, including us today, that faith in a God of promise and provision may stretch us to the limits of physical, emotional, social, intellectual, and spiritual beings. Yet the stretching will serve only to expand our capacity to know God and in knowing to discover the vast potential of life lived in faith. In closing, I'm borrowing something that the Right Reverend Mary Ann Buddy, Bishop of Washington, used in a sermon at an ordination of six new priests at the Washington Cathedral. Now, it was nine years ago, early on in her episcopate, but it really stuck with me. It was a call and a response, and while she and we sang it, I'll invite you to recite it with me. You don't have to move that mountain. 
You don't have to move that mountain. Just help me, Lord, to climb it. Just help me, Lord, to climb it. Now let's put that together. You don't have to move that mountain. Just help me, Lord, to climb it. You don't have to move that stumbling block. You don't have to move that stumbling block. Just show me the way around it. Just show me the way around it. Put that together. You don't have to move that stumbling block. Just show me the way around it. Now let's put it all together. You don't have to move that mountain. Just help me, Lord, to climb it. You don't have to move that stumbling block. Just show me the way around it. My friends, our nation is in the midst of just such a stretching. We are tested by decisions made and policies changed that stretch our very faith in that promise the Lord will provide. Will our country live up to the promises many of us see in our great melting pot of all nations? Will we be able to rescue our role as being like Abraham, a blessing to all the families of the earth? God's promise abides. God's timing also abides. We may, like Abraham, be in for the long haul. So trust the promise. Abraham did. The Lord will provide. God always does.